0: Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better, to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes, and I'm Mark Langley. Hi, Mark. We're talking to you. I think are you in Queensland yet? Yeah, I know you're on the way. Have you hit the Queensland border?
1: Yes, I've uh, I've, I've hit the Queensland border, Ooh. and I've I've even driven through a place called Texas. Uh, which some some of you guys over in the States may not realise that we do have a place in Australia called Texas. It's a very little country town. (laughs) Um, It's not as, as, uh, yeah, very little country rural town, just um, sort of in Queensland, just across the border from New South Wales. And, uh, yeah, i got a coffee in Texas. And um, I'm in the van at the moment, and, uh, yeah, all set up to, to do the podcast.
0: Back on the road. So, and in and Queensland, of course, if you're in the southeast of Queensland, Mark is in that area extensively for the next four weeks. He's doing clinic after clinic after clinic. You will be able to catch him somewhere. So just check him out. Definitely worth coming along to Fence Set to see him train in action. All right, Mark, um, the questions today, while you're in your band then, I know you're all fired up, ready to go. Um, we're going to talk about one of your favourite topics today, and it's about release hunters. Can you just explain to us as one of your terms, what, what is a release hunter?
1: Um, a release hunter is uh, almost the opposite of a field follower, um,
0: oh, another term. Okay, come on, explain. Yeah, that one
1: so so you know, there's the old term you hear in horsemanship. It would have come out of the you know the, the 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 people like Tom and Bill Dorrance and that sort of thing. And you know, you you were trying to get a horse to follow a feel. Um, and yeah, definitely following a feel is. Um, um, is a soft horse and a release hunter is a, is a horse that may be obedient and light, but it's, it's, it's hunting the release of pressure. And if it doesn't get the release of pressure, uh, it can get quite anxious because it's still actually, um, so, so I guess a release hunter is a, a horse is still not comfortable with pressure. So the, the pressure put on the horse makes it stress enough to hunt release, but if it doesn't get that full release, it kind of stays worried. And while the pressure is around it, it, it stays worried. So, um, you know, we talk about negative reinforcement. Uh, so the negative in, re- in negative reinforcement is removing, it's the minus, it's removing the stimulant or the pressure. So a lot of times, you know, people think when they're rewarding a horse, they're going, I'm rewarding the horse by removing the pressure. And that, um, that shows the horse that that was the right thing. Um, the catch is, is um, if the horse was worried during the pressure or anxious, and then it did what we wanted and it still carried anxiety and didn't have a soft change of thought, then it starts to look for, you know, it starts to search for release all the time. And that's the place where it's happy in release. And it never quite gets happy within the boundaries of, of pressure. So it's a, it's a complicated thing. And it's, it's actually, I think it's the basis of good horsemanship and feel is um, for a horse to follow a feel, it has to be comfortable with pressure, not just, um, you know, have that, that urge to hunt release. And release hunters are often the ones that anticipate they're in the future, um, uh, you know, because they're hunting that release and they're trying to get there first because the pressure worries them enough to want to beat the pressure. Uh, so they're the horses that sometimes feel light, but they still carry a lot of brace and you can see the anxiety in them or feel the anxiety in them as well. Um so, yeah, it's an intricate sort of balance trying to teach um, horses to, to to follow a feel because we're still obviously, obviously rewarding search and releasing some of the pressure when they're searching and stuff like that. Um, but it's holding pressure till a horse softens within pressure that is is, is part of the key and, and lets go of some of those hard thoughts and starts to search. So um, what I mean... Is um, like, a, like a, a good example I try and get people to imagine when they're holding a rope or they're offering a pathway through a rain to a horse. Is um, I want them to imagine that uh, if they were the horse, they're a blindfolded person and their best friend's holding their hand and their best friend's moving their hand so they follow that person to a surprise party or something, or they're following them down a the staircase. So basically, if they get a little lost, you'll feel that as the person's walking away with their hand, there will be pressure and the pressure will kind of move and that'll create a bit more friction. And then as soon as you catch up to the, you know, to the feel of that hand, you're back in balance with that hand. And if the person holding the hand like dancing was to put a twist in your arm in a certain way and your, your mind and body was free to stay in balance, you would twist and rotate your pelvis and move your feet to stay in balance and if you got a little lost, you, you'd feel a little brace through your body where you create where there was a bit of a friction, but then you'd soon soften to find your balance within that pressure. So that's a, that's a way of thinking about it. So so when I hold a knot or something on a horse, I'm actually holding sometimes or I'm moving backwards and forwards until the horse actually starts to kind of find that sweet spot and stay in balance and in rhythm with the pressure, um, you know, in, in the way it's – following it with its mind, but also the way its body is following it too with its feet and everything.
0: Okay, so with release hunters then, um, you're trying to actually educate them to feel okay about pressure
1: so they can
0: still think about all the different options that are open to them rather than trying to just find an escape and focus on an escape, which obviously doesn't leave them open to actually moving and balance and thinking. Yeah, yeah. Different things happening.
1: So, okay. So, yeah, yeah, like a, just another quick one just to give, so people going to get too lost. Another big big um, thing that I see release hunting in is, say, when people back up, if the horse has been hunted back a little bit with the reins, you'll pick up on the feel of the reins and they'll kind of run backwards, but it's almost like you've got no feel in your hands, no pressure. So with those horses, um, I, I make sure that I've got a big area and they start kind of running backwards away from the reins a little bit and i'll just keep the feel of the reins there for a while and just enough that they can still feel the bit uh or the nose band if you ride in a side pull and and they'll start going oh, oh it's still there it's still there and, and nothing's happening i haven't been banged and bumped and uh and then they start to slow down a little bit and um And then as they start to slow down to nearly a stop, I'll put a little feel through the reins and then they'll follow it a little faster. And then eventually I'll get them to a stage that I want them to kind of back off a little faster. And as I slow the reins down, they slow down into a stop, just like that. So instead of, you know, you just stop them by sort of taking the pressure away. So you're trying to get them to speed up and slow down in the back up. So basically eventually they know that the amount of feel presented through the rain is the amount of, uh, I guess, desire and movement that they have. Um, and until they go, Oh, I'm not going to get punished. Uh, cause sometimes they've been punished with pressure and then rewarded with release. And that even makes the whole thing worth worse. But, um, and on the other side of it, there's another problem that, that we come across, which is probably another subject that we could talk about again one day, but just, I'll just quickly brand, uh, brush over it, is uh, with positive reinforcement. Um, so I just was talking about removing pressure and negative reinforcement. Sometimes um, we get horses... So, so basically, release hunters are in the future. They're not in the present. Um, and you can get a reward hunter as well. So you can get a horse that is got a strong desire on the reward and it's kind of going through the movements shuffling its way through these movements not really thinking about them properly but still kind of doing them and all it's thinking about is how do I get to the reward and in a sense you've got the same problem as your horse that's hunting release um, you've got a horse that's in the future that's hunting reward so you also have to be very careful in like positive reinforcement that you set up your horses not to have their mind in the future and hunt that Reward that that makes them feel good because if you've got a horse that still carries stress, that food reward is almost like you know, me going and having a beer when I'm stressed, it's almost like it takes their mind off that stress and it's something that stimulates and makes them feel good. So, if the horse is still a little stressed, even in positive reinforcement, they'll hunt that reward, but they'll still carry the stress, and the reward is almost like the bit of a de stressor, but they didn't find comfort and clarity in what you were asking them. So so you can get the same problem also in positive reinforcement.
0: Yeah, it's all about what they're doing when you're asking them to actually do something, isn't it? It's yep, not about it's avoiding def- scenarios. Mm.
1: Definitely okay. how they feel about what they're doing at in the moment of doing it.
0: Of that task, yeah, which is the reality of life. The are um, yeah, they're sort of living in a human world. Okay, so um, moving on then to this question from Byrne because I think this will shed a lot of light for people who – can relate to what you're saying and, and the sort of maybe you've triggered a bit of a light bulb moment for some people who've gone, aha, yes, my horse does that. They struggle with that pressure. So Bern has definitely has a release under, Bern's done quite a few clinics with Mark and she she's obviously come across this term and is very familiar with it herself. The gourding that she had at one of his clinics is, is, is the one that she's talking about. Um, they've been working on soft movement from the ground, holding the halter knot, and he struggles with the feeling of that pressure. He either loses momentum, braces against the pressure and tries to push through the noseband, or he overbends and then he tries to look for the exit. So she's very aware that he feels trapped. She's She's not asking for movement, she's just wanting to hold the knot to see if he can be soft in that hold. But her question is, is that process holding, is it going to make him dull even more? She's noticed that when she puts the hold on, his reaction is to move his feet or push against the nose band, even though she's not asking for anything. So if she doesn't use enough feel, he'll ignore it. But if she holds high above the knot, so it's firm but not tight, he, again, that pressure just makes him look for the exit. Does she continue to hold with the same feel? Does she wait for the idea of softening and then ask for movement or she should be waiting for softening through the body or is there another path that she should be on?
1: Now, I think, I think I, I, firstly, I'd start at the end of the question. Is there another path that she should be on? I I think, I think you're on the right path in the sense of, um, he's going through all the motions of what a horse like him would go through. And I, and I think, um, and you've seen horses that have been really bad release hunters at clinics would have been had a lot of you know driving pressure and that sort of thing and they get in those sort of tight holds and they think because we're holding them pressure's going to come from somewhere so they move their feet and and sort of really try and get away so there's he's not necessarily like that but you know you've seen they go through a whole different sort of bunch of things trying to you know hunt release or whatever to find the answer so um, but as I remember him, I called him a bit of a spaghetti horse, um, you know, when I had a ride on him, you know, because he was very, very bendy and flexy in the head, but he was, he was very out of balance in his body. So um, while he's out of balance, he's going to get a little stressed, and he's not going to be sure what to do. And because he thinks he's given to pressure half the time by bending and moving his head around, then he gets worried and says, well, why, why is there no release in there? Um, how come, you know, and then he might start to panic and move his feet or something like that. So, um, and then like what you said in the question, you know, will really he dull? Um, yeah, some horses, if you just hold them, will dull. And uh, so sometimes what I do is I, I do a little wake up lesson and it's almost like I put an electric feel through the, through the halter. So what I, what I tend to do is, um, I, I go very quietly to the knot and I just put my fingers on it and my hand around it, but I haven't put any pressure on it. And I just see what they do before there's any feel around their face. Um, it's just the feel of you holding the knot without asking any questions and there will will be the tiniest feel in that but it's only enough to say are you ready to maybe follow it when i start to move it and and sometimes you'll see horses kind of like just go oh yeah i'm ready to do something um if he's ready to do something and he kind of livens up then you just push the knot backwards or forwards whichever way you'd like him to go and if he kind of Moves in that direction. Well, that's good. That's what you wanted. So, so he'll soften and go with that feel a bit, and then you can stop, give him a little break for that, and try again. Uh, if he kind of goes dull and he just kind of like looks like he's just phasing out, and and then then put a little lift in it, like straight up. And if he goes dull with that very very it's a very very slow lift. You're not asking a lot, um, and he's just dulling out and he's just kind of you see him sort of freeze through his body and it's almost like he's not trying. If you see that response in him, then I just would bang my leg and do something that just wakes him up like just shocks the air a little bit wakes him up and as i do it i don't have to do a big one because i'm 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 doing two things at the same time that'll make him sort of go oh what was that and i push up under the knot and i might give him a little push up like a little shove up underneath him um as i bang my leg and he'll go oh and he will sort of go oh all right oh and then i'll just release and just sort of wait a second and just let him sort of you know i don't want to ask anything of him i don't want to stay in there too long and that's that's basically if I thought the horse was dulling out, because if you hold there too long and he just goes dull, and then you start to move him, you're going to get that real heavy sort of response where their feet are really heavy and their and their mind's not their mind's heavy too. So, um, and then I'll go and touch the knot again, and I'll just gently push up on that knot. If I see him dulling, I'll do the same thing again—a little electric, small electric bump up with my with my hand and just a bang in the leg, and he'll go, "Oh, what was that?" And then I'll just leave him and then go in again until when you touch that knot, you see him wake up and you see him sort of wake up and go, Oh, oh, maybe she's uh, wanting me to stay awake. And, uh, well, maybe that's not what he's thinking, but he knows that if he doesn't wake up, then something's going to wake him up. So then when he wakes up a little bit and he looks like he's sort of bright, you go, Thanks, that's all I wanted. And you just give him a break again and you go back again. Until you can pick up on that knot and lift it and he wakes up a little bit. So you're waking up the mind. And as you wake up the mind, you hopefully what normally happens, you'll start to see the body loosen up and wake up a little bit. Um, and then once you feel that awakeness comes through and you see him loosen up a little bit, then for him, instead of doing the leading by and around lessons, just work on forwards and backwards, wake up. And he's gonna if he overbends like things like that, when you go to go backwards, you just put a little wake up lift. And a bang on your leg as he overbends and he'll wake up a little bit and then push back at the same and then push back immediately after he wakes up. And that'll get to the feet and get him to move backwards. So what you're trying to do is you say, wake up a little bit first. Now just do forwards and backwards. And and for horses that are all squiggly and bendy and they glow they, 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 they get all, all lost and spaghetti-like. I tend to wake up and do just forwards and backwards for a while until they find their balance and comfort in forwards and backwards and they're not overbending to their chest. They're not kind of stretching out and, you know, late with their feet when you ask forward. And they're just rocking forwards and backwards. And when he can wake up softly, go forwards and backwards softly without a lot of resistance, then you'll find when you push the knot across and start to kind of guide him out around you, you find that he's more prepared to sort of loosely follow that with his mind and all four feet are loose to sort of stay in balance with that um yeah so most of them that are over worried over bendy and stuck all that sort of stuff I I tend to want to just wake them up and reward them for sort of carrying a little bit of life and awareness and then I do simply backwards and forwards because in backwards and forwards there's not a lot of for the horses that have a lot of drive memory there's you know when they when they just go backwards and forwards it doesn't tap into that I'm doing a high quarter yield or am I escaping out through that shoulder because I've been driven out it just kind of it's less um, less of a fight flight movement I suppose so they sort of uh, get a little bit more trust quicker in the forwards and backwards and once they as I say once they're loose in there then you can start to say push out and lead around and and just see how that goes um, just remember though and for everyone else like that lift is designed to get them to lift and start to lift up that wither and loosen that front end and, and, and get loose uh, in the base of their neck. And, um, and then once they do what, the, what they do is they transfer the weight back to their hind court a little bit more and that makes them uh, makes it a lot easier for them like or for us and for them to be able to so we can guide them out out around us.
0: Love the pro tips you just dropped in there that just make all that difference, don't they? That you just know those things. All right, hope hope that helps, um, Bern. So I've got a question from Carla. Um, and it's it's one that is just all about um, a, a horse that she's been riding in the cycle, and And I thought it was something that could be something else. And you've told me that it's probably actually quite related to this, which surprised me. So Carla has a five-year-old. Um, who's been ridden in the side pole, but he's recently started head shaking, and it's it's sort of erratic and can happen at any time in any location. So it's not really to do with the environment at all. And she's just wondering if if it could be that he's actually developed a sort of sore or a sensitive point on his on his nose. So she tried to put the bit in, but he definitely didn't like that. So she's just not quite sure how to proceed. You know whether she should persist with the cycle or she should persist with the bit and and why why might he be head shaking now
1: um yeah Carla well well, first of all I will say because you have to um you know if you think it could be a nerve or a pain problem it's always better to rule that out so there are specialists out there I don't know what they're called but they they do work on the nerves and you know they have a lot of knowledge on the facial nerves of horses and if there's any nerves it could be um you know Having any problems, or you know, and and, and you know, because the the like a very qualified bridle fitter would be one who knows where all the facial nerves are and, and how a bridle should fit comfortably on a horse's face. So 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 you'd have to do your own homework and research around your horse's face to work out if there's any swelling, any soreness, every every, every, every every any you know twitchy nerves or anything on the face. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you advice in the um, the learning and understanding side of it. That is, if if there's no soreness, swelling, whatever in the face, um, nerve problems. Um, you, obviously, you've tested the dark light thing a bit, and you've noticed that because there are horses that suffer from some some other head shaking problems that comes comes through different light and it's um, things like that. So, but I'm going to sort of offer my help, which is the educational side, if the other things are. If you've ruled out the other, the other pain sort of issues or, or, or any um, physical issues, so I know him fairly well. The horse um, and I know he's always had a little bit of a sort of lethargic sort of movement, sticky feet, and he's a bit of a sort of a you know daydreamer. He sort of you know drifts off with his thoughts to the other horses and that sort of thing. So uh, knowing that, I, I know that um, that there's going to be times he's going to be a bit sticky and he's not going to get that. Uh, release of pressure that uh, not really I'm talking about release hunting but he's not going to find softness within the pressure because he's always running a little late Um, and so what's going to happen is after a time if there's no kind of kind of softness in the pressure so obviously horses aren't hunting complete release but there's they shouldn't be uncomfortable with a feel of pressure just gently on their nose saying stay soft in this movement or something like that so um, if he's not finding that, then he's going to start to go, oh, well, I'm going to do this instead. And maybe he's like a door sheep. What I, you know, anyone that's got door sheep, don't don't get offended. Um, <laughs> I'm just just an example I use is if you see door sheep there, like, you know, a merinos will have a hole in the fence, but they won't go through it. But a door sheep will find a weakness in the fence and nearly make a hole in the fence so you know when they're rubbing the wool off they go oh there's a weak spot I might make a hole there and go through and eat the green grass on the other side so Dorpa sheep are more likely to uh, find a find a weakness and make a hole so maybe he's starting to say well I haven't really found the sweet spot and I'm getting a bit resentful and I'm going to start to push and throw my head and try and find the sweet spot my own way which is you know fight the pressure maybe he, he might feel a bit of give or a vagueness in the rain that makes him think there's an opportunity out there so maybe sometimes in that in, in that instance um you know there might need to be a bit more firmness to say hey that's not available uh when he pushes and then then if he's responsible enough to go well that's not available and he softens then 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 that the rain's soften a little as he softens so um i'm going to sort of Talk to you in a way of using the reins that just might help him, and then uh, later on, um, you might come back to me on this one again at another question and answer, and you know, and see how we've progressed with it. But what I'm going to sort of give you is an idea of how to use the reins so he creates his own pressure, and then he starts to figure out that it's him that created the pressure. And I encourage everybody that's listening to do this because this is kind of the way I use the reins on young horses, anyway um i let them figure out where the boundaries are by pushing but being firm enough to know that so so they know that the boundary is not um it's 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 not a boundary that's sort of weak it's a boundary that they can't push through um so when you pick up on the reins he might start to hunt like that because he can feel that contact coming and he's going oh i don't really like that and i'm going to i'm going to push on that so you pick up a feel and say i'm picking up a feel and 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 and, and maybe before I go too far, maybe don't think about all the balance exercises we were doing at the moment. Uh, You know, the backing up, the stepping over, all that sort of stuff. Just take them out of your mind for the moment and just work on the head fight for a little bit and just, just really sort of um, focus on that. And when he starts to get clarity there, go back to, you know, I want a better backup or I want you to try a little harder at looking over there or something like that. So Okay, so you're picking up on the feel. You pick up a light bit of feel. It's going to come on his onto his nose, and he's going to go ah oh, ah. Oh. And then as soon as he does that, you're closing your hands as he's pushing. So he goes, oh, that was kind of strong. As I pushed into that fence, that was that was. Uh, and then they, then he might move backwards. He might do something. Uh, move backwards with a brace, and then he might just soften a little and stop pushing. And then you just release and say, that's all I wanted. And, and and just keep offering him that, that feel to say, you know, you're trying to sort of lure him into doing that little head nod by just a light pressure that he thinks, oh, that's a bit of a light pressure, I can just push on that. But you're saying that's only the start, that's only the sort of the feel of the boundary, but there is a boundary there. So if you push, as he nudges in or he starts to zone out on it and go like that, that's when you firm up. So he goes, oh, I just created all that pressure. And then he, he started to soften that pressure as he kind of released off it a little bit. So he's creating his own pressure, uh, as, so it's it's his idea to push, but you don't know if the the fence is electric, you don't know if the fence is rubber, you don't know. He doesn't know that, see, but you've just got to make that fence. You don't want to make it electric that he goes, Jeez! oh, that was really frightening, and I'm going to, you know, because some people bang the reins like that, and they bump the reins, and then that makes them frightened of the pressure, that, so then they become a release hunter. But it's enough pressure for him to know I can't keep pushing my thoughts through there and I can't keep pushing there. So sometimes it might have to be quite firm, but you're not attacking him with that pressure. So if he touches it, you don't attack him back like that, but you firm as he pushes. So he pushes you firm and then he kind of starts to release off that and it releases kind of in the in the right way it would release if he was releasing himself off that pressure and just try and work on the head fight for a while to show him clarity and also because you're just working on the one thing you're going to be also very clear in your mind of what you what you what you don't want uh which is that 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 head hunting and 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 bumping uh and then then what you do want which is that softening and and after a while he'll realize the pathway to a better feeling and softness is for him to soften so it's his responsibility to soften. So in a sense, as you release the reins, you're not going release and just dropping them and just, you know, because that's one of the biggest mistakes I think that we can make is we, we make the reins disappear and no, they, they just loosen as he's sort of softened with them. So it's really clear um, that the, the reins are very, um, very clear. Uh, so he, he can he definitely knows he's softened or he's pushed and the reins just don't disappear all of a sudden. Just one little thing too, Carla, is, is um, once he's sort of not doing the head bob straight up as you pick up on the reins you still have to get that through to the feet because um, a lot of horses that haven't quite found their balance and been able to think into a movement softly, they start finding that hole in the fence or they start pushing for a hole in the fence their way. So There will be another catch in there, which is, you know, he's probably not finding his balance properly or not really engaging in that movement or he's still thinking somewhere else and he hasn't let go of a strong thought that's causing him to want to bump his head like that. So it's really important that the times there that you might have to firm up and say, you know, no, I need you to let go of that thought. I need you to find this back up. I need you to find this movement uh, or this direction. So that's when he's going to soften when he lets go of... um, what he was thinking and I know after seeing him he can have strong thoughts and he's quiet about it but he's like oh yeah I'm just going to keep thinking over there um so though he's quiet about it he still doesn't like letting go of his ideas or his thoughts of looking at the other horses so that is how that head bobbing usually starts is they don't want to let go of something so they're trying to find a hole in that pressure so they can keep thinking what they, they they're thinking because that to them is more beneficial for them than letting go of that
0: right okay so creating, creating perhaps firmer boundaries with those hands so that there really are no holes in the fence. Yes,
1: and, and then, then once he rec- recognises the boundaries, then creating more clarity in what you're asking so he can find the sweet spot and have a proper change of thought and recognise that the grass is greener on this side of the fence, not on the other side. So it may be actually a
0: case of having a bit more of an accurate release of pressure
1: yeah yeah and that comes with you know it's a hard one and it comes with 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 that um every horse is different and 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 as i say he's got he's a very nice horse and and um he's just got one of those kind of stoic sort of uh you know like the the stoic sort of minds that can kind of hang on to something you know and doesn't worry him too much
0: okay last question for today is a slightly oddball question it's from les And uh, might raise a few eyebrows. We'll see how you answer this one. Um, He asks, off-the-track thoroughbreds, do they have, by breed, more separation anxiety than other breeds? What's your opinion? He's been told that they do.
1: Um, You will come across a lot of off-the-track thoroughbreds. Now, off-the-track thoroughbred is different than thoroughbred. They're both thoroughbreds. So if you had a thoroughbred born into a normal life out in a paddock uh, with stability, um, a proper herd around them, like the stability of of uh, the uh, correct weaning and all that sort of stuff, the stability of clear horses around them, friends that they can sort of, you know, you know, just hang with um, the comfort and the and the, com- the security of a herd as in, you know, someone's looking out for them while they have a sleep and all that sort of thing and and, and um, also learning to work with boundaries and stuff like that and, and different um, body language from other horses. You tend to end up with a horse that is more emotionally stable um, and can cope with more things because they haven't grown up with trauma um through their life uh what i come across a lot with the off the track thoroughbreds is they you will get a lot of them that suffer from separation anxiety but it's not the thoroughbred that's the problem it's more so the off the track bit of it so um what i mean is it's common that a lot of race horses a lot of off the track thoroughbreds get um you know if this, i'll give an example you can have an off the track arab you can have the off the track warm blood you can have an off the track quarter horse and they'd all have the same problem if they were treated like a lot of off the track horses that I see I'm not saying all off the track horses have been put through this sort of system but a lot of them are and and what what the main problem is is um, they they like a lot of thoroughbreds bred on big studs they have a fair bit of stability when they're young uh, when they're foals with their mums because a lot of those thoroughbred studs uh, have them out on pasture in fairly big mobs of mares, so there's a, there's a lot of a lot of horses around and things like that, so it's not too bad. But it's when the weaning process happens that they get stripped from that fairly quickly. They go into sort of more of a stable environment, training, and a lot of them sometimes are weaned, you know, solitary wean stuff like that. So basically, they they end up all that all that comfort and confidence that they had for those first so many months of when they're out in the paddock, growing up with their mum. Just, it's taken off them, and they're surrounded by suddenly walls, and and then they scream and they look for their mum, they and they hear this noise of the mum sort of winning out, and, and it sort of starts that whole stressful process, and then they go into the world of training, which is stabling, you know, hard feed, uh, different people handling them, uh, you know, they get broken in, and then they go back, and uh, so basically they they're pretty well in a fairly high pressure environment from a horse quite quickly. And if there's lack of clarity and stress in training and all that sort of thing, they don't sleep very well. They don't. There's so many things that happen in their life mm-hmm. to make them, you know, seek the safety of other horses and almost be desperate for that safety because the That's other side of their them. world in the human environment is so stressful, they're going to seek that safety more. Mm-hmm. And, but a lot of it, I believe, comes from the start of the weaning process and bad weaning. Uh, and then after that, it's just from the sort of lack of clarity, the anxiety, the stress in, in, in the environment that they're in that kind of sort of compounded more. And, and if you've if you met any children that have grown up, that have gone through the ringer like that, then then they're going to have a, their fair share of issues uh, that, that you've got to help them with. They're not going to be just nice, calm, stable adults. They're going to be pretty volatile adults. Um, so you could have off-the-track humans <laughs> but the same thing, if you wanted to call it that, we will just call it off the track. You know, mammals. Um, I'm not saying everyone that out there that that, that breeds a few race horses and racism uh, uh, goes through that process. I'm not going to sort of you know just put a blanket or sort of opinion that. on it. Yeah. I, I do see a lot of horses that have been weaned in a bad way and in too much stress from from young, and and they've come off the track. So. So yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily it's a breed problem. It's a it's a it's a lifestyle thing that starts from when they're babies.
0: Mm. So, and you're speaking with a fair bit of experience when you say that, because obviously, you've you've um, handled and taught many many thousands if not millions of horses across the world it's it's not a cultural thing it's it's just, just you know how we are bringing them up but also you breed your own foals in quite a specific way don't you and so you you can quite directly see and you've, you've had enough foals come through and put them in different scenarios yourself to notice a huge difference can you just explain very briefly what that is just that's um,
1: the, the biggest difference, like um, in the sense of, uh, we, we're lucky enough at home to have a fairly stable herd. It, it has its ups and downs when some horses go and what's whatnot, but usually it's a fairly stable herd, and um, and they live a fairly comfortable life out in the paddock. There's no feed stress, none of that sort of thing, because we actually don't feed them. If we throw them a bit of hay sometimes, but we we sort of work on the principle that. Um, I want good country so the horses have got grass to eat not everyone has that option um but no feed stress that's the biggest uh thing as well you like they they can graze they don't have anxiety around food um and sort of wean them quite late as in you know it doesn't bother me if I wean them at 12 months when the mum's already starting to think about weaning them anyway by that time uh you know sort of we'll have them with other horses so so you know, there's a time there where sometimes we need the, the mares and foals off on their own because we've, we we can't always run it just perfectly. But then there's a time when, when I put those mares and foals back in with, with with other horses and another herd, and those little foals start to – they like the company. They like getting out with other horses and – Socialise. You know, Socialising, and they, that's where they learn. Like I just watched them the other day with new horses going up, checking them out, trying to figure out their boundaries, and they, 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 they do all that sort of stuff. But what, what I notice is um, – they learned conflict as well, but natural conflict that slowly that they get used to. So, you know, they, 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 they learn that there's stress and stuff, but they can deal with it, all that sort of thing. Um, and then when they wean, they're almost, they're, they're ready for that separation just about anyway. And then they've already got um, confidence to go away from their mums and do their own thing. And they've got friends they'd walk off with. So half the time they just wander off with the other horses and, it's a fairly easy process, and within the, by the next day or the day after, they're kind of off, and they don't really worry too much about their mum. Mm.
0: Um But what's the impact though when you've been riding them and doing the training on them later on? You know when they want. Well, the impact like, just
1: uh, just recently we sold a few horses. This is out of one particular mare, but by our stallion. Oh, I, mind you, I've had ones that I've bred that are that have been pretty antsy sort of horses, and it's not always at that sort of. You know, you you, you can line up all your egg ducks in a row, and and you still will have have some problems, but what I've noticed is is the ones that have, in general, that have come through that, a good good way of um, you know, growing up, is like there's a couple of horses that we sold down to Victoria, and they they the they owner's bought them to clinics, and one of them there was a horse uh, that her company, the horse's company, both of those horses, the two different ones, they were, they were sisters but um, different ages the owners, because they're young horses unstarted, they brought them to the clinic with the company that, that they've they've become friends with at their new home. And those two horses in the clinic environment was just like, oh yeah, I'm here in this environment and I'm doing this. And but the other horse, they could hear it screaming out, the one that was left behind, their friend that was left in the yard. It's kind of calling to them, trying to get, you know, wonder where they've gone. And they're like, usually if they have got a horse calling out, they're going to be like, I'm in this clinic environment, I'm in undercover arena, never been undercover arena they'd be quite stressed, but, but they actually just went, Oh yeah, I'm okay with this. I don't need that horse out there. I'm here. I'm yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Uh, and they were actually quite connected with the people in the sense that, cause, cause obviously we give them enough handling to get them interested and know how to not be traumaed by pressure and understand how to follow basic feel and things like that. But, um, I think what happens is they become just a bit more confident and self assured. They know how to make decisions around around sort of things. They they know that they're in touch with their their bodies, uh, they're in touch with their environment, and um, and they're just 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 much more confident in themselves.
0: So important, isn't it, that we sort of reflect on, on how we bring them up, and uh, and and like you said, it's a complete mirror image of of humanity you know, when people suffer from from difficult situations things that happen in life. Sometimes you just can't help those things happening, but it has the consequences and can affect us with our anxiety levels as, a, as an adult.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, um, I think, um, not that I want to go on a completely different subject, but it's almost like, um, you know, some some people, you know, say that their babies should cry until they figure out how not to cry. And some people, some mothers or fathers will pick up their babies and, and, and help them adjust a little bit and then slowly wean them into being stronger as they grow uh putting too much stress when they're growing up humans or horses is, is is going to cause them to be um fragile and and not very confident as they grow older yeah
0: and it's that confidence as well isn't it mm. so fascinating i remember i'll just say it's very quickly we had a a very top psychologist that came to one of our clinics once and he lovely person to have around obviously um and but he i remember him saying to me after he was he was watching you work over quite a few days and he said that a lot of the theories that you were using you know he's had to learn that and he teaches people a lot of the things you know he's he's quite top in his field Um but he just was fascinated by the fact that you were um applying these theories that most people have absolutely no knowledge of and, and and you don't not in a formal sense but you've just sort of worked it out yourself that this is important to the horses and he said this is the stuff that we are teaching you know that's important to people and you just knew it uh, and you know and this is multiple theories that you're putting across so it's, it's a fascinating area and, uh, and of course we're always uncovering new things but it's just just nice to sort of be aware of it so thank thank you mark for your insights once again thanks to all the listeners for for listening and do, uh, do give us a rating if you're enjoying the podcast to help keep the, sh- the show on the road. We, we know it's helping quite a few people out there, but it is nice to have that feedback for us too. And um, we will talk to you again soon.
1: Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, everybody.
0: You can learn more from Mark and his approach online through his online training videos. Just search Mark Langley Horsemanship. Join hundreds of others around the world making real progress, fixing problems and improving their relationship with their horses. There are now over 500 training videos. Make use of the seven-day free trial and take a look. Membership is just $15 a month and you get to ask Mark a Question.